for kingdom expansion and gospel proclamation. There was something that was big in their hearts. They really desired to see the gospel preached to every single person that could possibly hear the gospel. They really desired to see the kingdom of God extended. As we were sitting in our last Connect group a few Tuesdays ago, and we were discussing chapter 15. And as we were talking about chapter, chapter 15, my wife and, and some of the other women that were in the, in the Connect group, they made an observation. And one of the observations that they made, which I thought was pretty cool because next week is Father's Day, is they talked about how they saw that men were really engaged in the preaching of the gospel. And they weren't disc discrediting or discounting. Obviously, it was women speaking, so they weren't trying to discredit women in any way, shape, or form. But they simply noticed something in the scriptures, that these men of God were devoted to getting the gospel message out. Out. They were committed to preaching the gospel. They were committed to going out there. They weren't cowardly. They weren't hiding behind something. They were out there on the forefront preaching the word of God, which is so very important. Not just that men preach, but that all of us are committed to this gospel, that all of us are committed to the preaching and proclamation of the gospel. The other thing that was one, one of the things that we noticed was that when we look at the, the, the way that the church was as a whole, they didn't, they didn't take it lightly that they were given a responsibility to preach this gospel. They didn't look at it as though, you know what, he can do it or she can do it or they can do it. All they knew was I was called to do it. That was their heart. Their heart was that I've been called to preach the gospel, so I am going to go forward in the power of the gospel. I'm going to proclaim the truth of the gospel, and I am going to be devoted to that mission. And here is why this is so important, because while you see this in the Apostle Paul, while you see this passion in the church, when you see when the persecution takes place, the scripture says that as the church was scattered, that they all went out preaching the word of God. It wasn't just the apostles, it was the entirety of the church that was scattered they began preaching the gospel they began proclaiming the truth and so they took it personally and in our days here is the reality and this is a sad one it is that that same gospel passion does not seem to grip our hearts we figure, well, you know, the internet can do it, or there's, you know, channel whatever, they're preaching over there, or there's somebody else can go and preach the gospel or someone. But we need to understand that it is, it is everyone's responsibility, and everyone includes me. Say me. It is my job as an individual part of the body of Christ to assure that I am committed to proclaiming and seeing the kingdom of God extended through, through gospel proclamation. Most of us, when you look at this story in the Apostle Paul's life and this particular thing, most of us would have been pretty happy with ourselves if you think about it. Because at this point, he just spent a year and a half on a missions trip. Hallelujah, glory to God. We would have came back. We would have had pictures. We would have had a slideshow. You know, we would have explained to everyone everything that we had done. And we would be pretty well patting ourselves on the back. We did a great thing, and I'm not saying that we didn't. And he did a wonderful thing. But the point was, he wasn't ready to just sit down and retire. He wasn't ready to say, well, I did my two years, so I'm good to go. Now I'm done. See, my, my, my daughter, they're out there playing today. But uh, my daughter was telling me one day, she said, she said to me, she, we, were, we were driving down the road, and we saw um, these two young men with white T-shirts, I think like khaki pants and backpacks, right? And they were riding down the road. And so she asked me, she's like, Dad, you know, what are they doing? And I said, well, those people are Mormons, and, you know, they're out there, and they, you know, they do like a year or two where they're, like, they, they're, they're committed to doing missions work for like a year or two as young people. And, she, and, my, and my daughter's like, God, man, they're doing more than we are. 
I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm like, we're going to get on a bike right now. And for the next two years, I'm just kidding, I didn't say that. But the point is, when she, when she says that, these people, now listen, I was, I was talking to Pastor Robert, and, and I was telling him the other day, I think it was Pastor Robert, no, it was not, it was, it was you that I was talking, I was talking about the Book of Mormon with, right? Okay, so I had a couple of conversations with a few different people about this, but um, we went to a marriage retreat a few weeks ago. We went to this marriage retreat, as we were sitting down in, in the room, my wife was taking a shower and she was getting ready for the morning service. And so while she's doing that, I didn't have my, my, my physical Bible with me. I just had my, my, you know, my, my Bible app on my phone. And I didn't feel like looking at that. I wanted to turn some pages. So I knew, you know, faithful in the hotels, right, the Gideon Bible is in there. So I opened up the drawer. Well, I haven't been in a hotel in a long time. But anyway, when I go in there, I look in the drawer and there are two books in there. There is the Gideon Bible and there's a book that has the same blue cover but it is the Book of Mormon next to it. So I decided I want to look at the Book of Mormon today. I did not want to become a Mormon. I've never seen one, so I was like, let me check this out. So I started looking through the pages. And when I start getting through the pages, I get to this one book in there, and I start reading, and it's talking about Jesus. And as a matter of fact, I read this chapter, and I was like, wow, this sounds just like my Bible. So I said, let me, let me see. Let, let, let me test this theory out. Let's see if this really sounds like the Bible. So my wife comes out of the shower, and she's in the room, and she's, you know, packing her stuff. And I said, babe, listen to this. Said, okay. So I start reading. I read the whole chapter, and I finish. And my wife, you know, her beautiful, she's like, amen, that's good news. And I said, yeah. <laughs> and I said, and you know what? I said, that's the Book of Mormon. And she was like, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> now, here's the point. The point is, the reason why I bring this up is because they are a cult. They are, th th here's the thing. Their, their book has, is written after our Bible, after our Old and our New Testament. Are you hearing me? And so the reason why that chapter sounded so good, because it was a mixture of what the Apostle Paul said and what the book of Isaiah said. That's great news. And the way that they put it together, if I read it to you today, I could, you would be like, amen, that's good news. You would not know the difference if I didn't tell you this. Here is the problem. The Jesus they are talking about is not our Jesus. It is a different Jesus. Why does this matter? Because these people are preaching a false Jesus, and they are going on a year or two-year mission trip mandatorily. And the question for us is, what are we doing with the real Jesus? The question for us is, where is our passion? I'm not telling you you have to take two years out of your life and go on a mission trip and ride a bike and go door. -to that is not what I'm telling you. My question is, are you every day of your life? Because, see, here's the thing. God does not call us into mission for two years or three years or five years. He calls us into mission the moment that we give our life to him. He calls us into a lifestyle of gospel proclamation, a lifestyle of preaching the truth of the gospel. And today, as we talk about gospel passion my question is this now and it will be at the end how is your gospel passion how is your passion for the gospel are you so consumed in and think about this for a moment do you find yourself more consumed with the things of your life in this natural world world or the gospel what consumes your heart more what is it what really, oh, I mean, when, 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 when I say that, I don't want you to just, you know, give the flipping, well, you know, the gospel, of course. No, no, no. I want you to think about, what are you thinking about the first thing when you wake up in the morning? Throughout your day, what do you, and listen, I know we have seasons of our life. Don't get it twisted. I get it. Some, you know, some, some young people just got out of school, and you were doing finals, and you were studying. You know, Brother Angel, he sent me an email, and he was like, Bishop, I just want to let you know, man, I haven't been there because I'm, like, overwhelmed. He's going through school. And so I understand right now his mind is probably preoccupied with whatever he's studying. 
Are you with me here? I'm not talking about those seasonal moments. That I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in general, as a norm, as a rule of your life. I'm talking about that. What is it that consumes your heart? What fills your mind? What fills your thoughts? Is it the general things of life, the bills I got to pay, the work I got to do, the situations I'm facing, or is it the fact that Jesus died on the cross to save lost humanity, and I want as many people on this planet to know it? What is it that burns inside of your heart? What is it that is consuming you? Because what God wants is, listen, he says it clearly, that we need to love him above anything else. And when we talk about loving someone, we talked about this before, and we've given these analogies. I, can't, I, 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 gave, I probably gave it a few weeks ago, but when I first got together with my wife, all I could do was talk about her. Hello. She was on my mind when her and I, not when I first met her, but when her and I got to know each other, she was on my mind constantly. I was constantly talking about her, not even knowingly. It wasn't something like I went out of my way to do it. It was something that was just natural because it was something that was consuming my heart, my feelings, my emotions. For her, those things were growing. And so the question for us is, are our feelings, and listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not all about how, about how you feel, but here's the thing. If your passion when we're talking about passion, we're talking about feelings. We're talking about emotions. And when we're talking about that, are those feelings, those emotions, are those understanding that come? See, because here's what I want you to get. My relationship with her began to grow as I got to know her better. And so my feelings grew as I was in communication with her, in relationship with her. And it becomes the same thing for us with Jesus. If we're not talking to Jesus, your passion ain't growing for him. If he's not talking to you through his word, then your passion for him is not going to grow. Your passion for the gospel is not going to grow. So listen, if you never open your Bible, I can answer the question for you. No. There is no real passion burning inside of you. If you're not seeking God daily and in his word, and listen, it doesn't mean you're not going to miss a day here or there. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not talking about being perfect. That's why Jesus died, because none of us are. But the thing is, if I am not devoted to, if I am not desirous of seeking his face and pursuing him the way that the scriptures teach, I'm never going to grow my passion for him or the gospel to be proclaimed. Amen? Amen? It should be the cry of our hearts that God would burn in us a passion for the gospel that outcries every other voice calling for our attention. Let me say that again. It should be the cry of our hearts that God would burn in us a passion for the gospel that outcries, that is louder than any other voice that is calling for our attention. It doesn't mean we don't do anything else but preach the gospel, but it means that the loudest voice, it means that the voice that has got the most of our attention is his. That should be the cry of our heart. Say this with me. We must guard against potential hindrances to our passion for the gospel. We must guard. That's the first point I want you to see. We must guard against potential hindrances to our passion for the gospel. When you look at verses, um, chapter 15, verses 36, and you go all the way down to um, 16 and verse 10, there's three things that we see here. But here's, here's what it is. The first part here is we see that Paul says, I want to go, and I want to go and see the churches. 
And, 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 and when he does that, there, there's, there's a conflict that takes place. And then as he moves forward, then, you know, in, in chapter 16, we're going to meet a person by the name of Timothy. When he meets Timothy, he calls Timothy to be with him, and then he circumcises Timothy. And then after that, we're going to see that in, in, later on in chapter 16, after they start their missionary trip, they go, and then the Bible says something that is so peculiar. It says that God would not allow them to go to a certain place and preach the gospel. So here's what I want you to get. The greatest hindrance to the furtherance of the gospel is not the culture, is not the times that we live in, or the people that we preach to, but it is the lack of passion in the hearts of those who have been entrusted with the gospel. Let me say that again. The greatest hindrance to the furtherance of the gospel is not the culture. The culture is sinful. Every culture has always been sinful. It's not the culture. Oh, we just live in a really bad time. Everybody lived in a really bad time. Amen. It's never been a good time. There's never been like a great time to preach the gospel. I, seriously, it's, it's always hard. It's, it's always difficult. As a matter of fact, we probably have the best time. Why? Because we're not going to get stoned for preaching the gospel. And so, yeah, it's, it's not the culture that we live in. That's not the issue. It's not the people that we're preaching to. You know, because sometimes, oh, you know, well, it's the people that we're preaching to. You know, people have always been wicked and hard-hearted since the Garden of Eden. Since, since Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, sin entered this world, and everyone created after that has had wickedness at the core of their heart. It is called total depravity. That's what it's called. It's called you are born into sin. You are born, every one of us, and so it's not the people, it's not the culture, it's not the times that we're living in. As a matter of fact, the times that we live in are better for us to proclaim the gospel. Why? Because, man, we have so many different advancements, and we are able to do things that, we, that they could never do back in the days. The greatest hindrance is our hearts. And so that's the reason why it's so important for us to guard against those things. So the first hindrance that we'll see here is what? Conflict. Say conflict. We have to understand something. Our flesh, the devil, our world system, they don't want us to be passionate about the gospel. So we must be vigilant and wise against anything that would hinder our passion. So the first one that we see is conflict. So what happens in this story here? In this story here, Paul says, hey, man, I want to go back to see some people. And I love the Bible because it's just really candid about what happens. It's very clear. Some people want to read over this, but this is what happened. The scripture says Paul goes to Barnabas. And he's like, hey, Barnabas, we're going to go. It's like if I went to Roland, I said, Roland, we're going to go back to where we were preaching, and we're going to do this. And so Roland's like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. But check this out. I want to take, and I'm not going to say anyone's name because I don't want to offend them, but I want to take, you put the name there. I want to take that person. This is, what, this, this is what Orlando says, and I'm like, nah, bro. We are not taking that person. He's like, but what's up, man? You know, he's my cousin. I, you know, we're cool. He came with us last time. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly why I don't want him to come with us again because in the middle of our trip, he left. But I'm saying, you know, Rose, like, yo, man, but can he get a second chance? No, we're going, not him. And so the Bible says this. They had a sharp di disagreement. Say sharp. That means they were heated in our language today, glory to God. They were mad. I mean, they were like going off on one another. And they were like, I mean, they, they came to the point where it was like, yo, bro, you go that way, I'm going this way. You love Jesus, God bless you, holla. That was it. They, they, they walked away just, I'm serious. This is what this, read your Bible. I'm not, I'm not making this up. This is what the scripture said. We're ready to go. They got into a sharp disagreement, and they decided, you know what? He, you know, Ro, Ro was like, yo, I'm taking so-and-so. And I was like, yo. 
I'm taking Roberto with me. We're going. Let's go, bro. That, that, that's what happens. So we start walking. We go this way. They go that way. Now, here's what we have to understand. The first thing is conflict. And whenever there is deep disagreement, conflict will arise. And offense can and potentially will hinder our passion for the gospel. Now, here's what happens. When there is conflict, what we begin to do is we begin, and, I, and, I, and listen, I can talk for me, and, I'm, and I know, I'm not even going to give you all a pass on this. I know I'm not the only one in the building like this. Whenever we have conflict or situations that rise up, you know what begins to happen? That thing begins to consume us. That thing begins to consume our minds, and we start thinking about our conflict, and then, and, and then here's what happens. Instead of thinking about the conflict and the issue, we start thinking about the person we have the conflict with. And so instead of being like, okay, what is the situation that we're dealing with? We start thinking about the person, and it has, listen, and a lot of times it, it may have something to do with the person, but it's not about the person. It's about the issue that needs to be dealt with. And so what happens is we get offended, and then instead of us being passionate about the gospel, we're bitter towards a person. We're bitter toward a situation. We're upset because I didn't get my way. But here's the beauty of these two gentlemen. They both had the same passion and the same desire. They just had a different idea on how to go about it. And what did they do? Barnabas and Mark, they went to Cyprus, which was Barnabas' hometown. So they went to the hometown. They were like, yo, we're going to go ahead and make disciples up in this town, and we're going to have a good time. That's what they did. The Bible says later on, Paul talks about Barnabas, his beloved companion. They reconciled. He actually asked for Mark to come later on. So that was fixed. So what happens is these people didn't forget about Jesus, and they didn't hate one another. They disagreed. And if they were going to disagree, they weren't going to be able to continue to walk together. So, you know, Barnabas and Mark went over here, and then Paul and Silas, they start going in another direction. And they begin to go and preach. And so what the enemy means for bad, God turns for good. Amen? And so here's the thing. We can either allow offense to enter in and steal the passion for the gospel in our hearts, or we can agree to disagree on the non-essentials. See, what they did was they was like, look, you know what? It really, does, it, it really doesn't matter if we go together. It just matters that we go. Because the whole point is that we go. It's not about we, we may not be able to do this hand in hand again. And you know what? It doesn't matter who you take or who I take. We just need to go. And you know what? We're not going to agree on that. So if we continue to sit here and try to cast lots or, you know, you know duck, duck, goose or something, I don't know what you're going to do, you know, rock, paper, scissors. If we continue to do that, to figure, we're going to waste time in what we're called to do. So you know what? We'll agree to disagree on the non-essentials. You're not saying that Jesus isn't Lord. You're not saying the resurrection didn't happen. You're not saying that Jesus is the only way to say. You're not saying any of those things. So you know what? You go where you're going to go and I'll go this way. And that's all they did. And you know what? Here's, here's why this is so important for us. Because we have to realize that the Bible doesn't say, well, Paul was right and Barnabas was wrong. Or vice versa. Barnabas was right and Paul was wrong. It doesn't say that. That's not even an issue there. And what happens to us, when we see conflict, we automatically think someone's in the flesh. Someone's in the flesh. Someone's in the flesh. So we got to, wait a second. Can, look, may, may, maybe they were both in the flesh. I don't know. But here's the point. The point is, they did not lose sight of what was important, and that was proclaiming the gospel. That's the first thing, conflict. Look at chapter 16 with me. We'll start in verse 1. It says, Then he came to Derbe and Lystra. This is speaking of Paul. It says, And a certain disciple was there named Timothy, probably got converted in his first missionary trip, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek, meaning that this Jewish woman, she believed in the laws of God. The reason why they point out about his father being a Greek is saying that he was not a believer, and not just that, but he was also a Gentile. 
And it says this, it says, He, speaking of Timothy, was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. And so the first thing is conflict. The second thing is, say this with me, extreme sacrifice. So the first thing that can steal our passion for the gospel that we see here is what? Is conflict. The second thing here is this thing called circumcision. Now listen, I, I, I know, raise your hand, I'll just raise, raise your hand so I don't got to go through a whole circumcision lesson. How many of you know what circumcision is? Raise your hand. Glory to God. That's everybody in the building. So we all understand what circumcision is. Usually that happens at like two days old. Hello. In these, in these days, that happened on the eighth day. That, that, that's how they worked it out. They did it on the eighth day. According to the, law of, according to the law of Moses, you were circumcised. Now, this was a grown man. Now, <laughs> you see, you, you know, ladies, you may not get this, but the men in here, you understand what's, what's, what's going on here. You coming up to me, I'm a grown man. I've been like this for the last 20 years of my life, glory to God. And I love Jesus, and I get converted, and you say, listen, I want you to come with me, but... You're going to have to be circumcised at this grown adult age. Timothy could have been like, you know what? I ain't got that much passion for the gospel, man. I'm sorry, you know, Paul, I appreciate you. I pray for you, man. We will have some prayer meetings in your name, but we are not going there, glory to God. And so this guy, Timothy, he could have done that. I mean, you, you, you got you, 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 you to put yourself in this dude's position. There's nothing wrong with him. He's all good. He's not sick. There's no reason to do this. <laughs> Man, I'm good. And then on top of it, now, now listen, you got to take this like to another level. They just finished having a discussion in Jerusalem about this circumcision thing. And they said, look, you don't need to be circumcised. So it's good. So, you know, Timothy could have been like, I'm going to argue scripture now. He could have been like, y'all had a debate up in Jerusalem, brought it to Antioch, and everybody was rejoicing. Why do you want to make me sad? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. This is, this is Timothy. But Timothy goes along with this. He doesn't, I mean, I don't know. He, might, he probably was like, man, Paul, I got to pray on this. But the, 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 the point is, the Bible says the dude was circumcised. Extreme sacrifice. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring this to today. Y'all going to love me. But here, here's, here's, if we are going to be faithful to the gospel lifestyle that we have been called to, there will be some extreme sacrifices that we will be called to. And it's not always God who comes and whispers in your ear and says, I want you to do this. Sometimes it's a leader that says, I'm calling you to this. Sometimes it's a leader who says, hey, man, we're going to do a 21-day fast. And you know what? I'm asking you to fast some of those days. That's like, man, I don't like this fast. Glory to God. Right? Sometimes it's that kind of stuff. Sometimes, you know what it is? I, I, I'll tell you, you know, last week, Minister Juan was preaching to y'all. Glory to God. He wasn't preaching to me. He was preaching to y'all. Glory to God. I'm just kidding. He's preaching to everyone. For all of you that were here, for those of you that missed it, you should get the, the recording. But as he's preaching, he's talking about movies and, and, and music, and he's talking about all these things, right? And some of y'all were like, man, can you hurry up? I'm just saying I know it because I, I could feel it. I could, I could feel the tense. Every time he brought it up, I could feel it get more tense and more tense and more tense. And I was like, Lord Jesus, use him. Glory to God. That's why y'all ain't laughing right now. But here's the thing. As he's preaching that, that sounds extreme. Like, can, 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 I, can, can I just watch a movie? Is that, that all right? Yeah, it's all right. He didn't say you were going to hell for that. 
But there was a call from, now listen to me. There was a call from God saying, listen, I want to take you to another level of holiness. I want to take you to another level in me. Another level of sanctification. So that means you're going to have to really evaluate and think about, okay, what am I entertaining myself with? I love what he says. He said, I don't know if he got this from somewhere else. He never said that, but he says he, he believes that we a lot of times are entertaining ourselves to death. Now listen, here is the point. The point is, that's a little bit extreme. Leaders calling you out, saying, hey man, we got to tighten up. We got to sacrifice. He wasn't calling you to be circumcised in your flesh, but he was calling you to kill your flesh. He was calling you to put those. See, why did Paul ask Timothy to be circumcised? Why did he do it? Was it because it justified him? No. It says it here. Because of the Jews that were in the area, they knew who he was. They knew who his dad was. And, and what happened was, and, I, and, and really, I mean, to me, I don't know um, how they checked. I mean, I, obviously, you got to check. You have to look. So I'm assuming they'd be like, yo, drop your drawers. I don't know. But what I'm saying is, Paul was like, yo, they're going to know. So how are they going to know? I'll be like, yo, he's circumcised. I mean, they're going to actually, they're going to check on you and be like, did this happen? The point is, they knew him. And he said, I don't want to put a stumbling block for the gospel. Are you hearing me? So I need you to stay with me on this point because I want you to get this. I don't want you to put a stumbling block for the gospel. Here's what happens. And, and I'm going I'm, I'm to stick with the entertainment idea that Minister Juan was preaching on. If I'm sitting in the same movie that is not bringing glory and honor to God. Better yet, if I am sitting in my car bobbing my head to the same music that doesn't bring glory to God, do you think that that could be a hindrance from someone hearing the gospel from you? Let me answer the question. Absolutely. And so what is the point? The point is, I gave you guys the example for myself. I was talking about drinking a couple of weeks ago. Some of you got offended in a bad way. Some of you were encouraged in a bad way. Here's the point. How can you be encouraged in a bad way? You thought I was giving you license to go drink. No, I wasn't. That wasn't what I was doing. But here's the point. The point is I said I would never do that. And the reason is because I don't want to do anything that could hinder the gospel in anyone's life. And when we look at extreme sacrifice, here's what happens to us. We'll be like, you know what? I'm not doing that. And we focus on, you see, one, one, one of the things, you know, we, we often, you know, we, we make light of, you know, back in the days, you know, people, you know, they couldn't cut their hair, they couldn't do this. We, we make light of that. But you know what those people were doing? One of the things they were saying was, I am not concerned with gratifying my flesh. I'm concerned with glorifying my God. Amen. Are you hearing me? I'm not concerned with feeding my flesh. I'm not concerned with passing. And see, here's what happens when it comes to us proclaiming the gospel. It always must be this, that I am concerned about maturing in my faith and proclaiming the gospel to a lost world more than anything else. Amen. Second thing that we, or the third, the first one is conflict. The second one, extreme sacrifice. We don't want to make the sacrifice, steals our passion. Because I'm like, oh, no, you know, I can't. And, and, and you know what? Here, here, here's, here's what we do. You know, one, 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 we forget about what's, what's most important. See, because here's what happens. If I am, and I can tell you this, from, I can tell you this from, from personal experience. When I first came to Jesus, like the first two years of me being a Christian, no one ever told me I couldn't watch a movie. No one ever told me I couldn't watch TV. No one ever told me that I couldn't do this. Here's what happened to me. I'll give you my testimony in like a nutshell. And I'll be like, I backslid from this. But here's what happened. One day, sitting in my room, reading my Bible. My mom was making dinner. 
She's making dinner. She tells me, hey, the food is ready. And I was like, okay, I'll be out there in a minute. I didn't rush to go to the food. She had the television on in the living room. So in, in those days, this, you know, in, the, in those days, Martin was on, right? And so, you know, Martin comes on, what's up? Right? So anyway, so I'm sitting in my room reading my Bible. And as I'm reading my Bible, I hear Martin, what's up? And I'm like, yo, I got to go. So I'm like speed reading through the last like couple of, couple of verses. I'm like, okay, God, I got to get through this because I'm thinking I got to check off my religious, you know, checklist. I got to get my, my scripture in and then I'll go out there and watch Martin. And so the scripture, so I, I, I rush through the scripture. I go sit down. My mom made like, my mom can cook, y'all. I don't know, but man, my mom can throw down. She made these white beans. I don't know about any of y'all ever, but anyway, I'm just getting hungry right now. But, but here's the thing. Um, so she makes this food. I sit down. I am like starving. And when I sit down to eat the food and I go to take the first bite, it's like my stomach just locked up. And I was like, man, what is wrong with me? And I couldn't eat the food. And it was because I was so convicted because I rushed through the scriptures to go watch Martin. Now, listen, this made like you're like, well, that's no big deal. That's not me. Listen, the point is this. I put my, my flesh before the spirit. I was more concerned with entertainment. I was more concerned. And so from that moment on, I stopped watching TV, stopped watching movies. You can ask my wife. When, when her and I first got, I, I, would, I started going to the movies not because she's in the flesh. Hello. I don't want to make it seem like that. Okay. I started going to the movies because I was like, we're going to hang out and we can go to a movie. I hadn't seen a movie for like two years. And, and it wasn't like, oh, something was missing. Uh, on the contrary, the best thing was I had more of Jesus in my life. And so why, why, why is this so important for us? Because we need to understand that God wants to remove stuff that can possibly hinder us preaching the gospel and also steal away our passion for that gospel. The third thing, please repeat this after me, God's direction. Now look at verse 6 here. It says this, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the, and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden. Say forbidden. By the Holy Spirit. Say by the Holy Spirit. They weren't forbidden by man. They weren't forbidden by woman. They weren't forbidden by flesh. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word. Say, preach the word. In Asia. Now, here's what I want you to get. The scripture is saying this, that the Holy Spirit, now there's no mistakes in our Bible, and this is very clear, the Holy Spirit forbid them to preach the word of God. Now, that would seem to make no sense to us. Like, why would God forbid the preaching of his word? I can't answer that question for you. You thought I was going to give you an answer, didn't you? Hallelujah. After they had come to Mesia, I'm going to give you an answer. I'm just joking. I want to keep reading, though. As they had come to Mesia, they tried to go into, now look at that. They tried, say they tried, to go into, you don't have to say this part, into Bithynia. But the Spirit, now say this, but the Spirit did not permit them. And so we have in the first verse, the, the, the Holy Spirit forbade them to do it. And in the second verse, the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by, by, by Mysia, they came down to Tros. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach to them. And so this third thing, the first one is conflict. The second one is extreme sacrifice. The third one say God's direction. Now, it would seem to us that God's direction could never discourage us. But here's what happens. Paul is passionate about preaching the gospel. 
And he, everywhere he goes, Paul makes it crystal clear. He makes it clear. He's like, look, I don't want to preach anywhere where the, where the gospel's already been preached. I want to preach somewhere it's never been preached. And so he's trying to go to Asia, you know, to this other side. He's trying to go west. God wants him to go east. That's just what, the way that it happened. And so what happens is God has a different purpose for this particular moment. The gospel does reach there later on. It gets to those places that he was trying to go to. But it wasn't the right time for that to happen. So the answer is it just wasn't the right time. And, and here's what I want you to know is that in this scenario, God was showing him, I want you to preach the gospel. That is the right thing to do, but it is the wrong place and it is the wrong time. And so for us, it becomes the same thing. We need to be sensitive to God's direction. Now, here's the reason why God's direction can be discouraging sometimes because sometimes God will tell us to do something that is not necessarily comfortable. Hello? He will tell us to do something that we don't want to do, and that can hinder us because, God, you begin to wrestle with him. And like, no, you know, I don't want to forgive that person, right? I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to forgive that. And God is directing us. No, I don't want to be kind to that person. No, I don't want to go and communicate or whatever it is. And he begins to direct you, and then all of a sudden in your heart something goes on because you are not getting your way with God. You know, oh, I want you to go and apologize, but I didn't do anything. It doesn't matter. We get, he, he begins to direct us in a way that we don't want to be led. And you know what can happen? If we are not willing to say, God, I just submit to you. See, Paul had a passion. And what did the Bible do? The Bible shows us that he was there. He would try to go here. God said no. He tried to go to this place. God said no. He's praying and seeking God like, God, where do you want me to go? God makes it clear to him, this is what I want you to do. And what does Paul do? He goes and gets up, and immediately he takes course to get to where he needs to be to preach the gospel. And so for us and just in our lives in different areas, not just in forgiveness, not just in being nice, but in other things, things that we may want to do, but God says, no, I don't want you to do that. That's not what I want you to do. And we can become discouraged because that's the thing that I want to do. It can be a job. Listen, it, sometimes it happens to us. We, there, there's, and, and I'll say this to anyone. Not every door that opens is God. Hello. Are you with me? Not every job opening that happens is, I know, you know, you're praying, and, and listen, here's what you need to know. You need to be sure that that thing is of God. You know how many people have made the wrong decision, taken the wrong job opportunity, and they end up, you talk to them months later, and they're like, man, you know what? That job has done nothing to help me get closer to God. Because it's been a hindrance. Your job not necessarily going to make you get closer to God, but it can become a hindrance. And so what am I saying? We need to be sure that we are following God's direction and that we don't get bitter when he leads us in a direction that we don't necessarily want to go. Hello. If we allow our passion for the gospel to be hindered, and these are just three examples. There are many more examples I could give you. I just want to give you the ones that were before you in the scriptures. If we allow our passion for the gospel to be hindered, we will become ineffective at worst or less effective at best in its advancement. If the gospel passion inside of our hearts is not burning, is not overflowing, is not on the forefront of our lives, then what happens is we become ineffective because we just stop doing it at all, or we become less effective because we only do it when it's convenient or whatever the situation may be. But God is passionate about getting his gospel out to those who desperately need to hear it. Amen? Say this with me. We must not be deceived into silencing our presentation of the gospel. Now look at these scriptures with me, verse 11. In verse 11 it says, Therefore sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, 
from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city that part of, 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 of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out, to, out of the city to the riverside where prayer was, was customarily made, and we sat down there and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. And notice that it's saying that she's a worshiper of God at this point. And then it goes on to say, The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Verse 16 goes on to say, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her master much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. When, but when her master saw that their, that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews exceedingly troubled our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive to receive or, or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So now here's what I want you to get. We must not be deceived into silencing our presentation of the gospel. The first thing I want you to notice is in Philippi, when Paul gets there, he starts preaching. Where's the first place that he preaches? He preaches in a prayer meeting. He doesn't, he doesn't go to the marketplace and start preaching to a bunch of people that he knew weren't saved. He starts to preach the gospel in a place where most of us would have never thought that God was even needed. He begins to communicate that. The second thing I want you to notice is that this slave girl that is, that is coming behind Paul, this slave girl, is, is she telling a lie here? Was she not declaring the truth? She was saying, these are servants of the Most High God. They tell us the way of salvation. Most of us would have been like, that's a good report. Amen, sister. I'm just saying, this is what we would have thought. And so what happens to us is that we in our days, in, 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 in our culture, which encourages, promotes, and propagates pluralism, we must be careful not to be deceived into being silent as though they have figured it out already and don't need the gospel. It would have been easy for Paul to just say, you know what? These people are praying. They're talking to God. I mean, they seem to know what's up. So you know what? We're, we're, we're going to move on. We don't need to talk to them. You know what? This lady, you know, this, this, this girl is communicating the truth. And you know what? We'll just go ahead and share that. But Paul doesn't do any of that stuff. And see, it's important for us to get that because here's what your Bible says. Turn there with me really quickly. Turn to, first, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to see this because this is our days today. Second Timothy chapter 3. We'll start reading in verse 1. When you got to say amen. It says this. It says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. 
boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5 says this, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. Now here's what I want you to get. Now first of all, I don't know what form of godliness they have. Because the whole description there seems to be people who are 100% ungodly. People who 100% don't love God. These are the people that are being described in these pages here. But when you look at that and you look at our day, how many people do you know that will say, well, you know what, I love God. And young people will talk to you for a moment. Oh, I love God, but I disrespect my parents all the time. Hold on a second. How can you love God and continue to break his commandments? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. That's what Jesus said. That's not what I'm saying. And so they have this form of God. Why do they have a form of godliness? How, what, what is that form? It's because they say they believe in God. It's because they say that they know God. And so that's their form of godliness. But the scripture says they're not godly. The scripture says they deny the power of God. Why? Because the power of God humbles us when we're proud. The power of God makes us love him with our money, not love our money. The power of God makes us honor our parents because we recognize that that is the first commandment with promise. So this is what the power of God does. And these people have a form. They communicate like they know God. And seems like that. But here's why this is so important. Because when you go back to the book of Acts chapter 16 and you look at what was going on, you could have people that have a form of godliness. It could seem like everything was good and they didn't need the gospel proclaimed to them, but they did. And if we are going to be passionate about preaching the gospel, we must make sure that we are not deceived into thinking, oh, they don't need it. Because here's the truth. All of humanity needs the gospel. That's the beauty about us understanding that even as Christians, we need the gospel. But as those who don't know God, they need the gospel. And so it's our job not to be silent and saying, you know what, I'm not going to present the gospel. When Paul does that, what he does is he makes sure when he gets to the slave girl, the slave girl's issue, what's the problem here? She's telling the truth. The reason why the devil needs to be cast out of her is because all of this time before Paul gets there, people were paying her money to know their future. They were coming to her saying, hey, we, want, we need to know our future. Every, everybody, look, you, what, what, you, you think that these people, these people have you calling 1-800 numbers. Hello. Why? Because everybody wants to know their future. You go through hardship in your life, you want to know what's going to be the next step. What's going to happen? You don't want to wait on God. You don't want to follow his direction. Even, listen, even those who proclaim the name of Jesus, call him 1-800-CHLOE. Hello. I'm just saying. And you know what? Look, we, and, and, and not even that. Look, we, we, we won't even call 1-800-CHLOE. We will find the sanctified version. It's called, you send me $100 and I'll send you a prophetic word. Hello. I'm just saying. Why do you think these people make money? It's because people desperately want to hear from God, but they do not want to wait on him. They want to hear God's direction. They want to hear God's God. They want to hear something supernatural. They want to be wooed and won, but they don't want a real relationship. And so if Paul would have allowed for this woman to continue on, then what happened is God would have been mixed up. The God he was bringing, which was a true God, would have been mixed up with demonic activity, and you can't have those two together. So Paul is like, yeah, I'm proclaiming the truth, and I want you to know you have no part in this. And the Bible says that, they're, sto or that they're, they're beaten and then they're incarcerated. And the third thing that I'll say, and I'll ask you to say this with me, is we must never 
be intimidated to doubt the power of the gospel. Look at verse 25 with me. Verse 25 starts and it says this, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposed the prisoner had fled, drew his sword, and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Verse 35 goes on to say, And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to you have sent to you to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told them word, told, told these words to, to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came, speaking of the magistrates, came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now, I just want to point something out before I get to the, 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 the meat of what I want to communicate. But the reason why Paul, at the end of this, why he is not willing to walk out of of the jail secretly was because he was just beaten publicly. He was incarcerated for a crime, supposedly. And so what they were trying to say was, you did something wrong. And now they wanted him to walk out the back door when he went in the front door. And what that would have done is that would have left a stigma for the gospel. And Paul was saying, no, y'all need to walk me out the front door so that way everybody in this city knows we didn't break any laws. The gospel wasn't breaking any laws. The gospel wasn't, and, and this is good for us today because we can understand. We need to know. You don't, you, you, don't, you don't need to be all crazy and acting foolish. You just need to know your rights. Hello. You need to know what you're allowed to communicate, what you're not allowed to communicate, where you're allowed to do it, when you're allowed to do it, and when you're not, you need to be sensitive to the right timing. But here's what happens. These people were not intimidated to doubt the power of the gospel. The scripture says they were, they, they were charged, they were beaten, and then they were incarcerated, thrown into the deepest part of the prison. And then when they're in there, the scripture, and this is one of my favorite parts in the book of Acts, when they're in there, they're doing what? They're praying and they're singing hymns to God. They're declaring God's goodness in the midst of the hardest moment of their life. That is awesome. They are in there, and they, are, they, 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 they don't know what the outcome is going to be. For all they know, they can end up dying. They don't know what's going to happen. But here's what they do. They make it their business to get in there, and they begin to pray, and they begin to sing, sing hymns to God. So they're declaring God's goodness. They're declaring God's greatness, and they're doing all of this. And guess who's listening the whole time? Every one of the other prisoners that are in that jail. 
As all of those prisoners are listening to them praise and worship God, the Bible says that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows up, shakes the entire prison. The prison is shaken. All of the doors open. And for what reason these prisoners don't run out, I have no idea. The only thing that I can say is that there must have been a fear of God that fell on that place and overwhelmed them to where they didn't run out. They knew, hold on a second, this is holy. I can't walk out this door. That's the only thing I can say, and I'm, that's conjecture. I'm just throwing that in there because why would they not run out? I mean, the guard came in, and he was like, oh, my goodness, these doors are open. I'm killing myself because you all know that the guard who, who had prisoners escape, he had, to go, he had to be executed. And so rather than do that, he was just going to take his own life. Paul calls out to him. And so what we see here is we see a great picture. Paul calls out to him, and he says, don't do it. We're all still here. And then the beauty of it is, is we look at it, why does God make this big old crazy phenomenon? It only tells us about one family, and it's the jailer's family. And so God does all of this, allows Paul and Silas to be beaten and to be incarcerated because there was a jailer that needed the gospel. There was a jailer that needed to hear the truth of the gospel. See, here's why this is so important. Because sometimes in our life, we don't get why we go through what we're going through. We don't understand why the situations are turning out the way we are and why we end up in the places that we do. But if we would just devote ourselves to praying and singing praises to God, it doesn't mean i got to walk around wherever I'm at and I have to literally be praying all the time, but I can communicate. And when I do sing praises to him, the, the people around me can sing that because what we got to understand is that God knows exactly why he's allowing us to go through this because there is someone on the other end of this that needs the gospel we're supposed to be his children this is what Paul listen Paul and Silas they were children of the most high God they had been saved. They had been sanctified. They were preachers of this gospel. And, were they, and, and, and was, it, was, it, was it necessary for them to go to prison? It was for this guy to get saved. And God does all of this to bring salvation to his life. But you know what they could have done? They could have went in there and they could have, instead of singing praises to God, they could have been singing, woe is me. They could have been looking at themselves and be like, man, my situation is so bad. You know, my situation is so messed up. And just complaining and worrying and concerned and, and never being consumed by the gospel. They could have been consumed by their problem, been consumed by their circumstance. They could have been worried about what was going on. And instead, they were overwhelmed by the goodness of their God. They were overwhelmed by the power of the gospel. They were overwhelmed by that. And because of that, they declared, and freedom comes. Salvation comes and lives are changed. Here's the reality. The reality is that most of us will never see a prison due to our faithfulness in preaching the gospel. Most of us. I got an echo, I guess. I don't know. Most of us. Most of us will never see, unless laws drastically change in this place, we will never see a prison cell because of our faithfulness in preaching the gospel. Yet we can find ourselves in difficult situations that seem oppressive and create a lack of desire to worship, to pray, and to trust the Lord. When we look at this story, we see a faith that is to be envied for sure, but even more so, God's commitment. Here's what I want you to see. I don't want you to just see the greatness of Paul and Silas because they're amazing men of God. To be, to be emulated, to be imitated, 100%, absolutely. But here's what I want you to get. I want you to see God's commitment to his glory and the furtherance of his gospel. 
Because in the midst of this, God uses this for his glory. God is passionate about seeing people saved from their sins, reconciled into a relationship with him and his body, and sent out as ministers and ambassadors. That is what God is devoted to and committed to. He's not always committed to our comfort. Listen, I know, I know you don't want to hear that. But here's the truth. He's not always committed to our comfort. I know there's some preachers that, want to, that, that will want to tell you that if you're not living this lifestyle, if you don't have all these things, they, and, and they're, they're going to try to make you think you're living less than. Here's what I want you to get. In this moment, they were living less than. In this moment, they were as common criminals. They were in the deepest part of the prison. They were being treated like the lowest of the low by man, not by God. Man, they were uncomfortable. But look, when, the, when the Bible says that they, they I, I want you to get this picture. When the Bible says that they were in the deepest part of the prison and they put their feet in their hands in stocks, I want you to get, they weren't just sitting there just like in handcuffs like this. They were spread out, uncomfortable. It wasn't like, you know, just like a good, you know, I'm just chilling my arm up here. No, 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 it, it wasn't like that. These guys were spread out. They were uncomfortable and still giving glory to God. They were uncomfortable, but they knew who God was. They knew God was with them in their discomfort. They knew God was with them in what could have been their imminent death. They knew God was with them no matter what. The question is, do we know that God is with us no matter what? No matter what we face, we must be certain that God is good, that he is on the throne. That's what they were sure of, that he is all-powerful and that he is committed to his purposes being fulfilled in the earth. And not just that, but that you and I are part of his plans. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that God is committed to his plans and purposes being accomplished. But you are part of that plan if you are his son or his daughter. You're part of that. And no matter what we face, we can glory and we can revel in who he is. And so I told you I would ask you this question again, and this is my closing question for you. How is your passion for the gospel? How is it? Are you really consumed by the gospel? Are you really consumed about seeing others come to, come to faith in Jesus? Or are you consumed by other things in your life? What is the loudest voice in your life? And listen, if it's not the gospel, then you need to repent. If it's not what God has done, I call you to repentance today. Submit your heart and say, God, I want the gospel to grip my life and transform me. I read this quote, and then I'll ask you to stand to your feet. It's by Robert McQuilkin. He wrote a book called The Great Omission. And he said this, he said, in a world in which nine out of ten, of, out of every ten people are lost, three out of four have never heard the way out, and one of every two cannot hear, the church sleeps on. Could it be we think there must be some other way, or perhaps that we don't really care that much? Stand to your feet and bow your heads with me, please. Grab your neighbor's hand, I want to pray with you today. If you don't know Jesus in this place, if he is not Lord, if he is not Savior of your life, Jesus died in your place. He died for your sins. And right now, as I pray, you can call on him. The Bible says to call on him in faith. Ask him for forgiveness of sins. Recognize your need for him as Savior. Put your faith in him today, if that's you, if you don't know him. For those of us that do know him, the challenge is really simple. The high call, where is your passion for the gospel? Is the gospel burning inside of your heart or is something else burning inside of your heart? Father, I come before you today and I thank you for your grace and your love. I thank you for your kindness, dear God, and I thank you because you are merciful to me. 
God, I thank you because you are holy and you are righteous. God, I thank you because you have allowed me to share your word today. And God, it is my prayer that you would reveal yourself unto us in deeper ways, God. Heavenly Father, I pray over my brothers and sisters that are in this place, Lord. I thank you for each of them. And I pray for them, dear God, that your hand would be upon them in a powerful way, dear Lord. Heavenly Father, that they would be proclaimers of the gospel. That they would be consumed with a passion for the gospel, my God. That they would not have a lifestyle that has a form of godliness and denies its power. But that our lives, Lord God, would reflect the glory and the power and the wonder of the gospel, my God. I pray, Jesus, that you would remove all of those things that would hinder our passion for the gospel. Lord God, be a conflict, be an offense, my God. Heavenly Father, be it you directing us in ways that we don't want to be led, Heavenly Father. Whatever it may be, dear God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would lay our lives down, my God, and that we would humble our hearts before you, Master. My God, I do pray, dear Lord, that the greatest voice would be the voice of your gospel in our hearts, Lord God would be the voice of the gospel, would be the voice, Lord God, that, that, that the gospel would burn in us, my God. Heavenly Father, consume our hearts. Grant us repentance, my God, where is necessary. And God, I pray for those in this place that may not know you, dear God. Heavenly Father, may they find no peace outside of repenting of their sin and putting their faith in you. God, may they come to the revelation of how badly they need you and how greatly you love them, my God. May they come to the revelation, my God, of the reality of your wrath that is upon us while we are separated from you, my God. And to the revelation that while that is true, that while we are your enemies, you died for us, my God. Father, I pray, dear God, that you would glorify your name in our lives and in our midst, dear Lord. And I pray all of these things. In Jesus' good name, someone said, Amen. come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy. <laughs> really quickly, as Pastor Chad makes his way up and we prepare for our, to, to receive our tithes and offerings, um, tomorrow night there is going to be a special prayer meeting that is going to be held. It is going to be held at the RTS Theological um, Seminary. Um, and what's going to happen is going to be from 7 to 8 o'clock. And the reason... Um, there's two reasons for this prayer meeting. The one reason is, and last Wednesday, every first Wednesday of the month, I get together with uh, some of the pastors in Oviedo. And what happened is the chief of police actually came to this last breakfast that we had because he wanted to talk to us about the um, George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin case that I believe, on, I believe tomorrow they're going to start choosing jurors. And the reason for this is because, obviously, you know, all of the police departments and things like that, they're just trying to prepare the best way that they can because, you know, there could be a lot of negative fallout. But the, what happened is that the churches in Sanford, they're having their prayer times and their get-togethers. But we decided to do an Oviedo is to have a prayer meeting. That was one of the reasons. That was like the, the, the icing on the cake for, you know, what brought us together or what got us to do that. But we've been trying to get together and have prayer times that would include all of the churches together. And so um, some of the pastors are going to be there, and I would invite you, if you're not doing anything between 7 and 8, and I guarantee you, I mean, it's not going to be any longer than that. It'll be from 7 to 8 o'clock. We're going to have a time where we're just going to cry out to God. We're going to pray. The pastors are going to lead. Um, the pastors of the city are going to lead the prayers for specific things, and you can agree um, with them. And so we'd love to see you there. If you can make it out between 7 and 8, that is at RTS. If you need directions, um, you can see me when, when you come out. But it's really simple if you just go up. Um, 
go up 434, you would take that left on Broadway, right? Left on Broadway, actually. No, you just, just keep going. Just don't take no left. Go, just keep going straight. <laughs> keep going up till you get to Mitchell Hammock. When you get to Mitchell Hammock, make a left. You're going to pass over Oviedo Boulevard, and then you're going to be looking on your left-hand side, and you'll see RTS Theological Seminary there. So it's real simple. Just a left. If you're coming out of here, you're going to go right, left on Mitchell Hammock, and then a left into the parking lot, all right? Reformed Theological Seminary. Right. Good afternoon, church. It's good to see all of you here this afternoon. 